Welcome back. Our OTR guest this week is Brian Kelly, former Republican Lieutenant Governor and the designated new head of the Small Business Association of Michigan, SBAM. Our lead story, another unforced error by the Whitmer administration. On the OTR panel, Stephen Henderson, Emily Lawler, and Bill Bellinger. Sit in with us as we get the inside out off the record. Production of Off the Record is made possible in part by the following. Business Leaders for Michigan has a strategic plan to make Michigan a top 10 state in the nation for jobs, personal income, and a healthy economy. Learn more at Michigan's Road to Top10.com. And now, this edition of Off the Record with Tim Skubik. Welcome back to this holiday edition of Off the Record. Nice to have you on board on this holiday weekend. And we also also have on board, we have Bill Ballinger and Stephen Henderson and Emily Lawler. Later on, our guest, former Lieutenant Governor Brian Kelly. Emily, let's start with you. The governor, um, the governor went to Landshark last weekend. Why was that a problem? Landshark for you non-East Lansing residents is a local pub, right? What's, what's the deal on this story? A problem. Let's start with surprise. There are a lot of very good bars in East Lansing. Um, I would never have guessed that I would run into uh, the government. Landshark, mainly because I have not been to Landshark in the last uh, decade since graduating from MSU. But I did talk to some current MSU students who confirmed to me that it's still primarily a basement dive college bar. Um, and they told me that they were not even aware that there was food served at the Landshark. So restaurant was the most curious part of her response, in my opinion. <laughs> but in any case, yes, the governor was pictured at the Landshark uh, with 12 other people at a table and her executive orders at the time limited gatherings to six at restaurant tables. So uh, she was pictured in violation of her own orders and perhaps due to some recent controversy, um, actually, uh, I'm not sure if she had learned from that or what, but she did promptly apologize, explain that they were all vaccinated and had pushed some tables together. Um, and, and that's how she explained the circumstance. And later that rule was pretty promptly eliminated. Stephen, is this much to do about nothing? Well, I mean, I think, uh, you know, it's not the most consequential thing uh, that's ever happened uh, to, to a governor. Uh, at the same time, I think the problem is uh, the, the questions it, it makes you start asking. Uh, the first one, of course, uh, is what was she thinking doing it in the first place? But the second one pretty quickly is, you know, when you look at that picture, it's not like somebody snuck up and, you know, snapped a photo that she was unaware of. You know, she's looking at the camera, everyone in the picture is looking at the camera and smiling. And so you're wondering what's going through her head at that moment. She knows uh, at that moment that she's violating her own order. Uh, she knows there's a record being made of that. Why, why is she smiling? Uh, you know, the, 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 the brazenness of that or the aloofness uh, is bothersome. And then you start to ask questions because these are now serial errors you know, you always ask, who's around this politician? And what are they saying to that politician about how to handle these kind of things? Uh, the advice that she's getting um, seems to be off or maybe non-existent. And so then you start to ask questions about who are these folks around her? Who are the communications people around her? Who's the chief of staff? Uh, the kinds of people who are there to protect you from yourself. Uh, and right now, uh, she is not being protected from her own uh, misjudgments. 
Well, the interesting thing is there were a lot of people around that table. You would have thought that somebody would have raised their hand and said, you know what, I don't think this is a good idea. Uh, and then, to, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't somebody from her team put this on Facebook, which may have generated, I mean, goodness gracious, Bill, um, this, is, this is dumbfounding. It really is. Tim, this plays right into the accusation from her critics that she is the queen of hypocrisy. I have rules for thee, but not for me. She can do whatever she wants to. Uh, she should have realized when Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, uh, was caught dining uh, in violation of his own lockdown orders last year, it set off a recall drive against him, and he's now subject to a recall. So uh, the problem for Gretchen Whitmer is she's viewed as being too punitive. Uh, her rules and her lockdown orders were too strict. She wouldn't listen to anybody about them. And she's been caught in direct violation of her own order. So it's not a good uh, optic for the governor, and she's going to have to overcome it. It's not going to help her next year. Well, I don't think there is any Republican that will use this issue against her who believes the next race for governor will circle around whether she picked a lousy joint to go to in East Lansing. But there are broader issues, which you all have pointed out here, which you could write a narrative, is that who is calling the shots? And to add to that story is new information on the airplane story, which is now in its second, or excuse me, yes, its second month, Emily. What's the latest revelation there? Yeah, it has just been a string of uh, changes and oopses, really, in relation to this uh, plane trip to Florida for the governor to see her um, father, who she has said was ill. Um, but yeah, essentially, uh, her uh, last week, I believe, we learned that um, a nonprofit connected to the um, governor had um, funded that trip. And then <clears throat> Um, that apparently created some problems with the FAA um, for the company who owned the plane um, in terms of what kind of compensation they accepted. And the attempt at undoing that was making it an official campaign expense, which has already spurred its own um, complaint because people, some people are saying that this isn't a valid campaign expense if she was there for um, a personal reason. Uh, the good news for the governor, if there is any in these two stories, is that this isn't happening in May of 2021 and not May of 2022, Stephen. But what do you make of the latest revelations that now they're going to take a campaign contribution to pay for the plane and the Republicans can hardly wait to charge her with something wrong on that, will they not? I, I would imagine that they will. Uh, and I imagine that, you know, I mean, again, uh, how big a deal is this overall? Probably not the, 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 the most significant thing going on. But again, uh, the way it's been handled, um, it keeps the story alive, right? Um, there's this little drip of information that comes out and, and each story seems to fold back on itself or fold back on another story um, that you told a, a day or so ago or a week ago. Uh, and again, Where's the advice? I mean, if you'd come out up front and said, you know, my dad's sick and I need to go see him. Uh, I know that there's an order that says you shouldn't be doing this kind of thing, but it's an emergency and I don't really have a choice. And I wouldn't hold that against uh, any other citizen who did the same thing. And that would have been the end of the story, I think. Um, but, but doing it the way they did, uh, being discovered uh, the way they were, and then telling all of these 
sort of very small uh, uh, bits of information about what's going on and not coming out and saying, here's all of what happened, it's not a big deal, uh, is keeping the story alive. And, and there again, who are the people around her giving her advice? Who's telling her that this is the way uh, to get away from uh, these things or to, or to put them to rest? Uh, and and that's a that is a serious question because here it's inconsequential, but presumably those same people are giving her advice on much more important uh, subjects. And so I think uh, the inquiries into that group of people and how they're counseling uh, our chief executive is really uh, significant. Mr. Ballinger, weren't you always taught that if you were in a room with a bunch of politicians and you're thinking about doing something that you don't want the public to know about, you should assume that the public will know about it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I, I disagree with Steve to this extent. I don't think uh, we expect the governor to be protected from herself by her own staff. I mean, look, she's the governor, for heaven's sakes. She's the one who's responsible for her own actions. She made these decisions. The idea that you have to have sensible, practical people around to warn you or tell you, governor, for God's sakes, do you realize if you do this, what may happen? Uh, so I think th the problem with the trip to Florida is that it exposes two sides of her. Number one, the arrogance and hypocrisy on the one hand, and then the secrecy on the other. She tried to cover it up. She never came out and made a full-blown statement right off the bat, laying it all out, getting it behind her. Uh, it's just leaked out by dribs and drabs, and that always is a problem. It keeps the story going, as Steve said. And uh, this was a big botch by the governor all the way around, and we can't be sure it isn't going to happen over and over again. Well, of course, the Republicans now want a list of all of the private plane trips that she's taken over the last 300 years, and they will not, they'll be relentless on that. And so this story is not anywhere close to going away. A story that may be going away sooner than expected. Stephen Henderson, what do you think of Candace Miller as a running mate with your chief down there in Detroit, Mr. Uh, James Craig? Well, I mean, <laughs> for starters, I think the ticket should be flipped, right? <laughs> Candace Miller, <laughs> I totally uh, for, from a Republican perspective, and look, Candace Miller and I disagree on uh, uh, most things, uh, but but I have tremendous respect for her uh, and the way she handles things, uh, her, her toughness, uh, her decision-making acumen. Uh, you know, she's somebody with impeccable uh, integrity. Uh, I, I would think if you were a Republican, that's who you want to see at the top of the ticket. Uh, she has said for a long time she wasn't interested <clears throat> In running for governor, but then the question would be, well, why would you run as lieutenant governor and, and frankly, as lieutenant to somebody who has got no governing experience? Uh, whatever you uh, like about uh, James Craig, uh, he's never held elective office uh, before. Uh, so that, that was my first, uh, that was my first reaction. Uh, again, it's so early in all of this that, that, you know, I mean, all of these are, are, you know, very, very early trial balloons to see if they get shot down or if they continue to float. Uh, but, I, but I'm not sure I would, I would write off Candace Miller's name in the context of next year's race entirely. If she's willing to consider uh, something like this, uh, why wouldn't she consider an actual run uh, to be the governor uh, the, herself? Two things about Candace Miller. 
Macomb County and Macomb County. Emily, uh, the, the question here is, um, my gut tells me that she's simply not going to do this. You know, obviously she'd bring a lot of gravitas to the ticket. Um, and I think that that's something, um, you know, especially some of these untested candidates uh, could use certainly. But uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of actual differentiation of how hard it is to run a run for Lieutenant Governor um, compared to how hard it is to, to run for governor, I mean, you would still be expected to do a lot of the, the same activities and campaign um, level, I think. Um, maybe once you're in office, um, the Lieutenant Governor's uh, uh, responsibilities can certainly fluctuate from governor to governor. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I do have a hard time seeing, um, you know, her taking that sort of second role, as, as Stephen said. I just think that, you know, part of the, the value that she brings is that she has been sort of a, a top leader for so long. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's an interesting form of uh, governance or an interesting ticket going forward. I, but I guess I'd be surprised if we see it. Mr. Ballinger. Tim, I agree with you and Steve and Emily. Uh, number one, uh, it ought to be flipped if it is. Uh, at least she ought to be at the top of the list. Not going to happen. For the Republicans. And I agree with you, Tim. I don't think she'll do it. Why would she do it? If she's going to turn down running for the top job, why would she take this second echelon job Nobody in Michigan votes for governor based on who the vice, uh, excuse me, the lieutenant governor nominee is. So I don't think it's going to happen. It shouldn't happen. She would be the best nominee the Republicans could come up with next year. And so far, at least, she said she's not running. And I believe her. I don't think she will. But if so, she's certainly not going to uh, accept second place on the ticket. Well, the party will go to her, and I'm sure they already have done this. Ms. Miller, we really don't care if you're lieutenant governor. We want you on the ticket so we can beat Gretchen Whitmer. Thank you very much. And I still think at the end of the day, the answer is a fat thanks, but no thanks. All right, let's say good morning to Brian Kelly, who was a lieutenant governor the last time I checked. How are you doing, Mr. Kelly? Good to see you, sir. Great to see you, Tim. Great to be back on the show. Glad that you remember my name. <laughs> How could we forget you, right? And congratulations on your new gig. You're the incoming CEO of SPAM. So you've got uh, your work cut out for you, right? It, yeah, and there's so much work to do with small businesses yet. And uh, But it's been an, an awesome opportunity, a great mission, awesome team that has built, been built over the years. Um, taking the reins at the end of this year from Rob Fowler, who built this organization from 5,000 members all the way up to over 28,000 members. And uh, it is just a, uh, a wonderful, wonderful organization. Loved the work, felt like home straight away. And uh, I can see myself really making a career here. So after you do this broadcast today and the phone rings and it's James Craig on the other end of the line and he says, Brian, should I accept the Donald Trump endorsement? Well, when it comes to uh, advising candidates, uh, particularly in partisan races, our organization gets involved in these races, and we are explicitly and determined to be bipartisan, and that means that everybody has a chance at it. So I'm happy to give private advice to uh, James Craig or Gretchen Whitmer or anybody who gives me a call and, and flatters me with that type of a request, but in terms of taking public positions and giving that type of advice, I'm going to wait for my organization who gets involved in state races to uh, to go through a process. And then once that process has a conclusion, then I'll be right out there in front uh, supporting that. Conclusion. So you're not going to answer my question, right? 
I'm, I'm so glad that you came to that conclusion straight away, Tom. Yeah. Yes, in the business, we call that a wasted two minutes. All right, Stephen, you got one. See if you can do better, okay? <laughs> he's, still, he's still in that uh, politician mode, right? He's Absolutely. Of, he still knows how to do that. Uh, so, Brian, I'm curious uh, what your assessment is of uh, where we are with uh, small businesses here in Michigan, I mean, obviously we've taken a huge hit. They have taken the biggest hits during COVID. Uh, give me a list of things that you think need to happen to get us back up uh, off our knees uh, and, and running again. Well, we're, we're at that point now, finally, where we have a date certain. We know capacity restrictions will be lifted on, on uh, July 1st and they're being expanded on June 1st. So there's no substitute for being able to operate at a sustainable uh, level and capacity. So that's number one. Uh, quickly, that has shifted over to concerns about workforce, availability of workforce. Uh, we are hearing at a level, at a volume higher than I've, I've ever heard in my time in, in public office, plus my time at SBAM, that uh, we just can't find people to fill the open positions. And, uh, and I think employers are doing their part. They're raising wages, they're giving better benefits, they're being more flexible, they're doing what they have to do but there's still a huge reluctance and that's it's identified uh, a lot of barriers as well. So uh, we find ourselves getting involved in areas like childcare, for example, um, transportation issues, education issues, just trying to find all the different barriers that are preventing people from filling all the opportunities that are out there today. So um, the, the work of business advocacy really has changed a lot over the course of the last several years. It used to be about regulations and taxes and it still includes those things. But now as we move into this uh, this next phase of the pandemic and, and hopefully exiting the pandemic and the controls that were in place before, it really is going to be about removing barriers for, uh, to, the, to the workforce and encouraging people to get back to work. Mr. Ballinger. Go ahead, Stephen. Can you give us a sense of uh, how much we've lost in a small business sense, like uh, even among your members, uh, how many people just didn't survive this? Well, we, we did surveys. Unfortunately, there's no way to know for sure across the board when a small business goes out of business, they don't do some public announcement. So it's usually they just quietly close their doors. And so it's a look back when you determine what that loss was. When we did surveys throughout the pandemic, we found that about one in seven were either um, out of business or were not confident that they were going to survive. And entrepreneurs are usually very positive, optimistic people. You have to be. And so, uh, so we think that might be even an undercount when the, when the dust settles. But at the same time, though, we have seen just an extraordinary number of new business filings that have happened as well. And so there's a, big, there's a great shuffling that's happening out there in the economy right now. And the top line economic numbers look pretty good. It's, uh, it's just a matter of underneath that you have widely disparate experiences. So sit down restaurants compared to drive through restaurants, for example, one, the recovery hasn't even begun. The other one just had a record year. Um, downtown areas where you have office workers, which, which were the basis, there's a whole ecosystem of small businesses that serve office workers. And when office workers are no longer in the place where they used to be, then um, there isn't, you can't outsmart that. Your market just moved to a different place and it did so virtually overnight. So that those types of, that's where the long tail I think is on this uh, pandemic in terms of the economic impact are the industries 
that, uh, that were impacted most by the, the closure and the capacity limits, but also just the changes in the flow of life that, um, that aren't necessarily going to change back in the same way. Emily, let's go to you. Uh, so one of the things that people are saying is that, uh, you know, we hear a lot of businesses talking about a talent shortage. Uh, we hear a lot of regular people talking about how they're not willing to work for the wages that are being offered. Um, what do you make of that discussion? Well, I think that employers are responding to that. I mean, they, they know that enticing people to come back is, is going to be difficult. There's a lot of factors at play there. Uh, we, we had one of our members on, for, for example, recently that uh, that has a brewery in, in Macomb County, and, and she was talking about her um, her uh, package today where people that, you know, the, the cooks in the restaurant are 23 $24, $25 an hour, um, health insurance benefits, two weeks of paid time off and a 401k, and really can't even get people to apply. And, uh, and, and so really, when you get down to it, a lot of this at this point, you know, we're, we're all reduced to anecdotes, but of course, we have 28,000 members, so our anecdotes really do add up. Our, um, our, there, what, what we're hearing more and more often is that businesses are having a hard time competing just with the idea of more time off, right? So you can't compete with 100% time off. So yeah, maybe I can pay $10 an hour more than unemployment pays, which is about $16.55 an hour, the equivalency. So you know, maybe I can pay you eight, nine, $10 more an hour, but I can't give you 20 weeks off. And if that's really the part that's most important to people who are struggling with childcare or educating kids at home or doing any number of other things that are more important to them than that differential in pay that they can earn, um, I, I think that's the, the factor that, small businesses really can't compete with 20 weeks off. And, uh, and so if that's the number one thing to, to a person, then um, we're going to be struggling for uh, workers for a long time. Mr. Ballinger now. Mr. Kelly, uh, you spent a lot of time in the beleaguered city of Flint uh, during the administration of Governor Rick Snyder, uh, representing the governor during the Flint <laughs> water crisis. I'm just wondering from your standpoint now with a small business association, how do you feel Flint has fared uh, in small business uh, during the pandemic and coming out of the pandemic compared to the rest of the state? You know, as, as you look at um, downtown areas in general, I'd include Flint, certainly include Detroit, um, cities like uh, Grand Rapids as well. The, uh, the downtown areas are the areas that have been impacted um, perhaps more substantially than anywhere else, because even the businesses that were not technically restricted, um, their their markets changed, right? You had people, thousands of people that go to cities every day for their work under normal circumstances. When they didn't do that, it meant that the gas stations and the restaurants and the dry cleaners and uh, the janitorial service companies and you know just any number of businesses and it, literally an entire ecosystem around them um, that their market just went away, and uh, and so I, I think that area that that cities in particular have been hit harder and are likely to in businesses in cities have been hit harder, and they're likely to have a long um, a, a long experience in terms of building it back. I've heard from a lot of entrepreneurs that. <clears throat> Even if they've been in the business for 25 years, they feel like they're back in startup mode, kind of reinventing how they uh, they approach the business, exactly what they do, even like the fundamental part of what they do might have to 
uh, to change. Their market has moved, so maybe they have to move. Uh, so I'm, I'm really very concerned about uh, areas that have a lot of office buildings and the idea of some of those being hollowed out and what the impact will be over time. And I think that uh, a lot of this this uh, work at the federal level and they talk about infrastructure and the things that need to happen. Um, I, I think of focus, you know, looking at, for example, um, the historic tax credit, how that has worked in the past, maybe looking at what, what can we do office conversion to uh, change office conversion to different, um, you know, these assets into different uh, types of purposes. Uh, there, there are some models out there that have transformed obsolete buildings in the past. And I think it's going to come to that if we're really going to avoid the type of um, vacancy that I expect that is in our future in the next few years. Mr. Kelly, what do you think of the charges from the state attorney general's office against Governor Snyder and his right-hand man, Mr. Baird? Well, I, 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 what do I think of them? They haven't even made public any of the information about them. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not really, I can't understand why they went that direction of a grand jury and have kept all the the information and the basis of their charges private. You know, I, th I think I don't think anybody can make a credible assessment of the um, of the process and, until they make that information public. In terms of the actual charges, I, I don't I don't believe that. I know both of those men and know them to be um, very high integrity individuals, and uh, I, don't, I don't believe it. But there's no, there hasn't been any evidence presented in a way that it could be evaluated. Well, do you think the charges are politically motivated, sir? Yeah, I, I think that the Office of Attorney General has become increasingly political, just cycle by cycle by cycle. I, I would, if I were to point backward and say, you know, I wish somebody would do it like this, you know, an Attorney General of the past, it'd be Frank Kelly. You know, it's not that Frank Kelly didn't know politics, but he, I don't think he used the office in a way that seemed so political and and like we have seen in the in the string of attorney generals since him so ms nessel is using her office for political gain i'm not using your tim your uh, quotes tim but you feel free to use the one that i just said well you're going to disavow the one that i tried to get you to say is that correct i'm going to stick with my words you can stick with your words all right, sir. Why don't you go practice the piano? We'll do an overtime segment after we say goodbye to Mr. Henderson, who's got to go play on the radio. We've got to show you some closed credits. And after that, more with Brian Kelly right here on OT at WKAR.org. See you right there. Production of Off the Record is made possible in part by the following. Business Leaders for Michigan has a strategic plan to make Michigan a top 10 state in the nation for jobs, personal income, and a healthy economy. Learn more at michigansroadtotop10.com. For more off the record, visit WKAR.org. Michigan Public Television stations have contributed to the production costs of Off the Record with Tim Skubik.